Imagine your life as a ladder with 10 rungs, with the lowest rung representing the worst possible life and the highest rung representing the best possible life. How would you rate where you stand today and where you expect to stand in five years? This is the question Gallup uses to gather data for their Life Evaluation Index. The index tracks human thriving, struggling, and suffering throughout the world. They classify those who rate their current life a 7 or higher and their anticipated life in 5 years an 8 or higher as thriving. Those who rate their current life and anticipated life in 5 years a 4 or lower are classified as suffering. And those who are neither suffering or thriving are considered struggling. According to most recent data, 15% of the world's population is suffering. 58% of the population is struggling. And the numbers for the United States are a little bit better with 6% of people categorized as suffering and 51% are struggling. Conventional wisdom would have us look to the future to try and improve people's outlook on life. But King David would suggest looking into the past. How can the past possibly help out our future? Welcome to Crosstalk a Christian podcast whose goal is for us to encourage each other to not only increase our knowledge of the Bible, but to take the next step beyond information into transformation. Our goal is to bring the Bible to life, into all our lives. I'm Brian French. Dr. Kent is training biblical communicators in Cuba this week, and we'll return to our normal series in a few weeks with a discussion of Psalm 15. But rather than take a break, We'll have a few sermons and interviews over the next few weeks. Today, Nathan Norman brings us a sermon from Psalm 9. If you have a Bible handy, turn to Psalm 9 as we join the message. A lot of you come here this morning and you have trials, you have tribulations, you have afflictions, uh, you have hurt, you have pain, uh, and they're very real. Some of you, it's very... um, real right now in your lives, and some of you that might be uh, not as intense, but, but you've all come with some amount of pain or hurt. I'd invite you right now, though, to, uh, to forget all that. Leave that behind and walk with me over to the past. Think about the past, and think about times in the past where God has delivered you from something. Maybe he took you out of financial ruin. Uh, maybe you had a sick child, and you prayed, and that sick child got better. Maybe you were uh, finding yourself the, the, the object of malicious gossip, and it seemed like everyone was, was fought, you know, just believing this gossip. And yet, right when it seemed like every, you know, you're going to lose your job, you're going to lose your friends, you're going to lose your family members, God came through and God revealed that person to be a liar, and he delivered you. Think back. Take a moment. God has delivered you from things in the past. It might have been health. It might have been an illness. It might have been a broken relationship that that there was no reason for it to continue on and God miraculously healed it. But God has delivered you from things in the past. Maybe you uh, almost got into an accident. Maybe you were in an accident and you should have died. And everyone in the hospital said over and over again until you were sick of hearing it, uh, you were so lucky. There's no reason why you should be alive right now. God's delivered you from things in the past. Reflect on those. Think about those. In your mind, in your heart of hearts, don't don't think about the pain right now. 
I want you in your personal hearts, what was that moment? Or what were those things God has delivered you from? What were the trials God brought you through? There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. But now you're back over here and you're like, yeah, okay, but I'm hurting right now and I'm in, I'm in pain right now. And I'm saying, well, you know what? We should praise God. We should praise God for those past deliverances. Why? Why should we even do it? Why should we praise God even in the midst of our own hurt and suffering? Why should we praise God in the midst of our pain? Why should we praise God for the past deliverances he's brought upon our lives? David starts Psalm 9, and he starts just by praising God, and praising God for all that God has done, and praising God for the way he's been delivered. Read with me Psalm 9, starting in verse 1. He says, I will thank Yahweh with all my heart. I will declare all your wonderful works. I will rejoice and boast about you. I will sing about your name, Most High. When my enemies retreat, they stumble and perish before you. For you have upheld my just cause. You are seated on your throne as a righteous judge. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have erased their name forever and ever. The enemy has come to eternal ruin you have uprooted the cities, and the very memory of them has perished. I mean, you're reading this, and David's just jubilation. It's contagious. He looks back at his life, and he says, God, you've taken my enemies, and you've just wiped them out. I mean, look at it. It's, it's absolute. He has three verbs here. You've rebuked them. You've destroyed them. Not only that, you've erased their names forever and ever. Uh, the, the names of the wicked, God has just wiped out. I mean, we can even see this through history. If I said the name um, Antiochus, you, there's probably only two or three of you who are sitting here like, I know who that is, and I could tell you his whole... Right? No, he's an evil, wicked man. And yet his name is in the process of being blotted out. We can't even think of it. And David just looks at this and how God has delivered him in the past. And he, he's just, those first two verses, he says, I will thank Yahweh with all my heart. I will declare all your wonderful works. I will rejoice and boast about you. And I will sing about your name most high. He's just infectiously joyous here. He can look back and he can see the way God has delivered him in the past from so many different things. And he rejoices. He rejoices in God's deliverance. He praises God. I mean, think about if you've ever played a game, any kind of game, uh, a hard game, though. You know, not something like, okay, it's uh, adults versus kids dodgeball. You know, it's, it's not hard. That's fun. Um, now, it depends on the adults. It depends on the kids. <laughs> Some of your kids with their arms I wouldn't want to play against. But if you're on a hard-fought game, a baseball game, a football game, chess, Anyone else ever play chess and you just have like adrenaline dumping into your system from the stress of it? Anyone ever? Am I the only geeky person? Okay, thank you. Thank, thank you. <laughs> if you've ever played any ultimate frisbee, hockey, something, and you're not sure if you're going to win, and you finally, you know, after fighting and thinking and, and, and using everything that's within you, you, you get that victory, how do you feel? Yes! You know, and, and men and women who are normally just, you know, stoic and, you know, ah, they're, they're just all over the place. They're exuberant. That's David. He had a problem. He had pain. He had affliction. And God delivered him from it. The victory that he felt. The victory that you felt when you got that job or, or that, uh, 
that deliverance from that gossip. How much, and if that's the victory we feel when we win a game, which <clears throat> in the long run doesn't really matter. I, you know, you should, but in the long run it doesn't you know, make a huge, if I win a chess game or if I win a hockey game, you know, 10,000 years from now, they're not going to be singing the songs. Of that, you know. <laughs> if we feel that about a victory over a game, imagine the victory, imagine the joy that David is experiencing for feeling the victory of God's deliverance from that situation, from that enemy, from that hardship, from that affliction. How much more victory do you feel and should we feel when you get that job that you had, you didn't think there was a chance that you would get, but yet you got it, and God came through. How much more victory when that, that marriage or that relationship is healed? How much more victory when God delivers you out of a, a difficult situation with your family, a difficult home life? How much more victory should we feel? And that's what David's feeling right here. He feels absolute victory. And after he says, yeah, those, um, the wicked, they're, they're gone. Those people who set themselves up against God, those people who afflict and oppress God's people, God wipes them out. Their memory is perished. Verse 7, David says, But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He judges the world with righteousness. He executes judgment on the nations with fairness. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed a refuge in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you because you have not abandoned those who seek you, Yahweh. Sing to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Proclaim his deeds among the nations for the one who seeks an accounting for bloodshed remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. So here, David starts off, he's praising God for the deliverance that he went through and now he's talking about God being a refuge for the afflicted. God being a refuge for the oppressed. Church, there are tyrants in the world. There are dictators in the world. There are people who oppress. And I'm not just talking in a global sense. There are people who oppress you in your lives. There are people who, who lord over you and afflict you and oppress you. And you, every person will have a point in their time and in their existence and their, um, their life here on earth where you say, I cannot find comfort, I cannot find refuge, I cannot find safety anywhere. My finances are ruined. My relationships are just heading south real quick. And yet David says, but for those who trust God, he's a refuge. He's a refuge. And look, he says here in uh, the latter part of uh, 10, or 10, he says, those who trust in you, because you... Those who know you, know you and know your name, trust you because you have not abandoned those who seek you, Yahweh. David's saying you might have felt like you were abandoned. You might have felt like the, the world was coming to an end. You might have felt like God had just, where are you, God, in my pain? David says, no, those who trust him, those who trust him, they know he's, he's a good refuge. He's a safety. He says in verse 11, sing to the Lord. Who dwells in Zion? Zion, the, the place, Jerusalem, basically, God's visible presence on the earth during David's time. Sing to the Lord who dwells, who dwells in Zion. Proclaim his deeds among the nations. And this verse 11 here, he commands us to sing, even in the midst of affliction. He commands, he says, sing, 
It's a commandment. It's an imperative. Why? Because I think there is a vulnerability when we sing. That's why we do so much worship music. There is a vulnerability and there is an openness and there is a release of emotions. And we all need it, whether you have a good voice or not. Uh, I was just, I, I don't know why I flashed back on this. One of uh, the pastors I grew up with, um, another pastor, Bruce, but different last name. <laughs> Wonderful man, but once in a while the sound team didn't mute his mic during worship. And that was rough. <laughs> that was, thanks, Jake. Uh, <laughs> that was really rough. Um, it was just like, whoa, who's killing a cat in the background? I mean, it was bad. But you could tell just, and you'd watch him, and he, you know, he didn't know that they didn't mute him, you know, because he had to live with his own voice. But you could just tell in the singing, and it didn't matter what it sounded like, that he loved God, that he cared for God, that he wanted to worship God. There was an emotional release there. There's a vulnerability that we, we lay before God when we sing with all that we are. And there's a trust and a comfort that God gives us in return when we're that vulnerable with him. So that's why he says, sing. Sing in the midst of your afflictions. For the one who seeks an accounting for bloodshed remembers them. The one God who seeks people to give an answer for the evil that they've done, he remembers those who are afflicted. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. A number of years ago, I think it was uh, 1995, I'm not a big video game person right now. I'm like, eh, whatever. They bore me. I, I don't, it's weird. But I'm not a very big video game person. Now, I was years ago in my teenage years. And I remember uh, back, back in 1995, um, almost 20 years ago, the, uh, this game came out. This real-time strategy game came for the computer. It was called Warcraft 2. It's good stuff. And uh, I, man, all my friends were going to be getting it. I, was, I worked. I had to work, like, really hard to save up enough money to get this thing because it was, like, $50, which, you know, I don't Is that a lot of money still? I think so. Uh, so... <laughs> So, so I'm working and I'm, you know, trying to get this game and finally get it. And I'm so pumped up and I'm playing in our computer room. My dad comes over and he's sitting watching me play. And he's just sitting. It's weird, you know. Whenever dad sat and he didn't say anything, you're like, what's he, you know, what's he? I don't know what he's thinking. So I'm playing this game and you're sending your armies to attack other people. I don't know. And he, um, he's just quiet for like an hour. And then finally he says, I don't think I'd like playing this game. Okay, you don't play video games to begin with, so whatever. So I think it was the next morning, I come downstairs, and, uh, and I see my dad on the computer, and he's playing the game. <laughs> and I'm, 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 so I thought, you didn't like, did you get up early to play this or something? And he looks out, and he goes, oh, it's morning? <laughs> Apparently he'd been playing all night. <laughs> he liked this game. Um, he liked it a lot. Very strategic, I think, and that was where his mind was. And I remember one, uh, one Sunday night, my younger brother and I were waiting at church for what seemed like hours for my dad to come pick us up after youth group. Everyone had gone home, everyone had left us, and we're just waiting. You know, we have homework to do at Sunday night. <laughs> waiting, waiting. You know, it's one of those things where you're like, we're only about five miles from home. Should we start walking? But if we start, you know, and you know what? It was before cell phones, you know? So what should we, I don't know. So we waited, we waited, we waited. We felt like my dad forgot us. You know, we really did. But, you know, he shows up, I don't know, whenever he showed up, two, three hours later. <laughs> Maybe not that late. 
But he showed up later, and we felt like he'd forgotten us and that he, you know, didn't care. Well, the reality was he'd gotten caught up in the game, and, you know, he kind of knew he had to come pick us up, but, you know, he's like, well, you know, they can wait. (laughs) But, of course, he couldn't forget us. We're his children. We're his kids. How much more so with God with us when we feel like God's forgotten us? He hasn't forgotten us, but even further than that, he's not even preoccupied with something. He's not like, well, hold on, i got to go send a snow squall over to, you know, I don't know, downstate Michigan. they got to feel your pain over here. He remembers us. He's thinking about us constantly. And even though it feels like he might have abandoned us, he has not. And David's praising his name for that. But then David, um, the mood of this psalm changes. It changes suddenly. It changes drastically. He goes from something really high and praising and just uh, unbecoming of a man to be that excited. And we get verse 13. Be gracious to me, Lord. Consider my affliction at the hands of those who hate me. Lift me from the gates of death so that I might declare all your praises. I will rejoice in your salvation within the gates of daughter Zion. He spent the original, the first part of this text praising God for his deliverances in the past. And now here he is. And all of a sudden, it seems like he is a little mental. Because he goes from such a high place. And then he goes immediately to a low place. And he might seem a little crazy. He might seem a little problematic. I mean, you know, you've probably met people who go from highs to lows. And, and, and they're not all that pleasant to be around. Um, he started off really high. And, and now he's asking God, I'm afflicted again. You've delivered me in the past, but I'm afflicted again at the hands of those who hate me. Lift me from the gates of death. And then he says, I will uh, rejoice in your salvation within the gates of daughter Zion. Which is interesting, right? He contrasts the gates of death, not with the gates of life, as you would assume, but with daughter Zion. And he's using a a euphemism here to say, so I can praise your name, so I can worship your name. So in David's mind, the opposite of death actually is life, but life is worshiping God. And he's saying, please rescue me so that I can continue to praise your name, so I can continue to have life in you. Now, this seems a little mental, as I said before. And I'm so glad that this is in here, that this emotional part would be here. Because I'm really glad that David isn't spiritually constipated. You might have noticed we are going through the Psalms, and it is my intention to go through uh, book one of the Psalms uh, throughout the next year, obviously taking breaks along the way. And part of that reason is because I see in the Western church, I see in Christianity in general, is this idea that we need to have the right answers to things. And, you know, it's good to have the right answers. But we so value that having the right answers, and we have all of our theology in a row, that we actually wind up ignoring the way we feel about things and we ignore, uh, and we try and lie to ourselves and, and lie to God in our prayers. For example, you feel 
like God has abandoned you. But you know the right things, and you know the right answers, right? And so you know, no, God has not, your theology is pretty sound. God has not abandoned me. Um, God is present everywhere. God loves me. God's all-powerful. I'm one of his children. Okay, therefore God hasn't abandoned me. So you say a little prayer over here, and you go, oh, God, get me out of this situation. But I trust in you, and I love you, and you're great, and I know you're in control. Well, come save me, you know. And, and, and you deny your emotional feelings right now, where you feel, men and women, God, you've abandoned me. Or God, you've let me down. Or God, you're not even present. Or God, you must hate me. And it's almost like we're trying to, we, we know the right answer, and we feel like what God wants from us is the right answer, so we try and shield God from the way we're feeling because, you know, we know, you know, I want to protect your feelings, Lord. <sighs> and what happens is you lie, we lie to ourselves and we lie to God, and we refuse to show him our emotions. And what happens? We become bitter Christians. We are not transformed. We don't view God as a loving father who we can take everything to, but rather as a teacher who only is interested in the right answers. We become depressed. We become disillusioned. We become spiritually constipated. And so we're going through the Psalms, and I love here, David starts off in crazy, energetic prayer, and then he just, the bottom falls out, and he says, yes, Lord, you've delivered me in the past, but now, God, everything stinks, and I feel terrible, and I feel like you've abandoned me, and I feel like you're letting me go down into the gates of death, and you're not even doing anything. It's the way he feels, and he tells that to God. Has God abandoned him? No. Does David know that? Yeah. That's the way he feels, and so he tells God. Why did David start praising God for past deliverances? David praised God for past deliverances because he knew he would need to be delivered again. Why should we praise God for the times God's delivered us in the past? We should praise God for the times God's delivered us in the past so that we can trust that he will deliver us in the future. So that we can trust that he'll deliver us in the future. And so David, as he expresses himself to God, he starts to get a little more encouraged. In verse 15, he starts looking to the future. He said, The nations have fallen into the pit they made. Their foot is caught in the net they have concealed. The Lord has revealed himself. He has executed justice, striking down the wicked by the works of their hands. Wow. This is what is called uh, the prophetic future or the prophetic present by some others. And what David is so confident, is, and it's not a confidence from him. He's so filled with God's confidence after he expresses his feelings to God. The situation might not even change. But God fills him with so much of a confidence that he writes down here and he, he talks about the future as if it's already happened. The prophetic future, the prophetic present. The nations have fallen into the pit they made. Their foot is caught in the net that they have concealed. The Lord has revealed himself. He has executed judgment. How does God execute, it? How does God execute justice? Striking down the wicked by the works of their own hand. The devices of the evil, the devices of the oppressors, the, the devices of the people who afflict others, God will cause to bring their own ruin. By their own evil, they'll be destroyed. 
That's divine justice. At the end of things, when all these things, when, when it all comes down, when finally final justice is brought on the earth, evil will wind up destroying itself. That's divine justice. God will cause that to happen. You've all seen this before, and actually you've probably seen, you might have seen this this morning, where you're driving in a snowstorm, or you're driving when the roads are bad, right? And you're driving, and you're trying to be careful, and you're not being obnoxiously slow, but you're trying to be careful. And then all of a sudden, some four-by-four monster eat-your-car truck, like, just rides upon your tail, right? And there's, there's no one else on the road. There is no one else. And they're just, like, right behind you. And they're tailgating you. And they're revving their engines. Go faster. And what are you going to do? You're like, I can't do anything because I can't. So they're revving their engines, and you're just, you know, sweating. You're like, oh, goodness, you know, if they, you know, I'm, I'm in trouble here. And then they decide after a while, okay, they're not going to do anything. So they pull out, and they go out in front of you, and they speed up, and then they cut right into you and, like, slam on their brakes, right? And, and you're like, oh, no, you know, and you're trying not to skid out, and you're trying not to rear-end them, and you're just like, oh, why are you doing this? Um, I think this probably happened to a few of you this morning, and, and not because I did it to you. Uh, <laughs> And you're just like, what's going on? You know, and finally, they're like, oh, I've messed with you enough. And they fly down the road at 80 miles an hour and in their monster truck that can handle the snow. And they go down. And you're like, oh, wow. Whew. And then a few minutes later, you go down the road, and you see the monster truck in a ditch, spinning its wheels, and it can't get out. That's divine justice. <laughs> wow, I got an amen on that one. <laughs> God's with me all the time. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Divine justice, yes! <laughs> That's the image of what God's going to do. That's how he's going to reveal himself. That's how he's going to ultimately turn things. And finally, finally, David puts things into perspective about Suffering on the earth, because we will. We will suffer on the earth. We will suffer at the hands of situations and illnesses. We will suffer at the hands of unseen oppressors. And why are my finances working this way? And it's because of someone, and they're, you know, a pencil pusher in, you know, three states away. And in this life, we will all suffer. But David becomes even more hopeful. He has an expectation in, in verse 17. The wicked will return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the oppressed will not always be forgotten. The hope of the afflicted will not perish forever. Rise up, Lord. Do not let men prevail. Let the nations be judged in your presence. Put terror in them, Lord. Let the nations know they are only men. Put terror in them, Lord. David's saying that the ones who have oppressed and terrorized and, and afflicted others, let them know the true meaning of terror. Let them know the terror of the Lord. David sets up a contrast here. There will be, at the end of days, a parting between the righteous, those who are in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and the wicked. Those who reject God time and time again. There will be a pardon of the ways. The wicked to Sheol. The place of the grave, death. And the righteous to life. 
Church, there is evil afoot. There's absolutely evil afoot in our world, in our communities, in our culture. We don't have to look back three, four, five generations to see the atrocities that happen. Just right now, there are dictators who use children for their wars. There's evil afoot. There's affliction everywhere. Right now, there are so-called parents who don't even have the right to call themselves parents who are hurting and abusing their children. There's evil afoot. There's affliction. There's oppression. In your lives, you experience it. In the greater world and culture, we experience it. We live in an oppressive world and an oppressive society and don't believe for a second that there ever was a kingdom of this world that was in line with the kingdom of God because there isn't. Not even our own, unfortunately. Never was. It can't be. The kingdom of God is greater than the kingdom of this world. Why should we rejoice at the times God has delivered us in the past? We should rejoice for the times God's delivered us in the past so that we can trust that he's going to deliver us in the future. There is no guarantee. And in fact, if you read through the Bible, the opposite is true. You are always going to experience pain oppression and affliction from all sorts of things in this world. You will. There's no escaping that. But part of the reason, one of the reasons we have to look back and rejoice at when God has delivered us in the past is because God is using that as a foreshadowing of the deliverance that is coming. That when you are going through your affliction, and some of you are going through affliction right now, and some of you will go through it later, But when you're at that time of oppression and hurt and pain, you can look back and you can see, God has delivered me from this, and I will also be delivered from this in the future. And I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't know exactly how, but I saw the foreshadowing. I saw that God loved me then. I saw that He was working. I saw that one day He is going to make everything right, and I'm going to trust that He's going to make everything right in the future. And sometimes that will be in this life, and sometimes that will be in the life to come. But church, you've all been delivered from things in your past. And so when you find yourself in pain, in affliction, in oppression, in hurt, and in the midst of evil, communicate your feelings to God. But then also look back and realize that The miracle, God's deliverance in the past, was just a foreshadowing of the things to come. Praise God for delivering you in the past. And trust God to deliver you in the future. Let's pray. Father, we... um, (laughs) Sometimes we fail to look back and see your hand guiding us. Sometimes we look back and we fail to see your hand protecting us. Sometimes we look back and all we can see is the pain. I pray that we as a church can look back and see your deliverance. We can see your hand guiding us. We can see your hand moving us. We can feel, we can see your hand shaping us and guiding us and and transforming us and protecting us. 
And Lord, though there are trials that come ahead for us as individuals, for us as family members, for us as a church, though there is pain and there will be oppression that we face, and there will be times where we feel like you're nowhere in sight, but Lord, I pray that we will be able to look back and see Your hand and realize that is a foreshadowing of the things to come and to look forward to the time where You will deliver us here in this world or in the life to come. But trust that You will come and You will vindicate us. You will vindicate those who trust in Your name. You will vindicate those who have made a refuge in You. And that one day when Jesus returns... One day, in that glorious day when Jesus returns, your justice will make all things right. Let that be our hope. Let that be our expectation. Help that to change us. May that be the praise on our lips as we look back at the future just, the past justice we've seen and we look to the future justice to come. Help us to celebrate, knowing that you're in control and you're coming again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Why should we praise God for the times He delivered us in the past? Because it helps us trust He will also deliver us in the future. I trust that today's presentation of God's Word has been helpful and served as an encouragement to not just be hearers of the Word, but doers. Together, let's bring God's Word to life, to our lives this week. The Crosstalk Podcast is a production of Crosstalk Global, equipping biblical communicators so every culture hears God's voice. To find out more about this educational nonprofit organization, please visit www.crosstalkglobal.org. You can also support this show by rating it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're enjoying it. Tune in next Friday as we continue with more sermons and interviews. Be sure to join us. 